So our gospel reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And it's a res- another resurrection appearance uh, for Jesus to the disciples. Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, and you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, which is where his scars were. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, they said to him, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So this morning we have another special treat in addition to the wonderful music we've already had this morning. We have a special guest preacher who is the Reverend Dr. Tricia Lyons, um, who's a part of the duo that's going to be joining us after church today. Um, Tricia is an Episcopal priest and she is one of the most sought sought out after teachers and speakers and preachers. She is a wonderful preacher. Um, Tricia has been an adjunct professor at uh, Virginia Theological Seminary, which is an Episcopal seminary, um, teaching classes from systematic to theology to C.S. Lewis, Sigmund Freud, theology and fiction, uh, Christian apologetics and evangelism. She's worked at all levels of the Episcopal Church and with other churches on evangelism from work, working with um, our favorite Bishop Michael Curry uh, to Bishop Marion Buddy in Washington, D.C., who you may know. Um, She's published uh, books including What is Evangelism, which is her newer book, and she's also preached a published a fabulous book called Teaching Faith with Harry Potter. Trisha knows the Bible and Harry Potter equally well, um, and she even has this ministry called the Hogwarts Chaplain, which you could look up on Facebook. And she, uh, she is the Facebook chaplain and sometimes will often offer sermicles, which are sermons, uh, inspired by both Harry Potter and the Bible. Uh, and I'm looking forward, we can all be together again, and I'd love to have her up and be our Hogwarts Chaplain and have like a Harry Potter and faith event. Um, Trisha graduated from Harvard College, um, and, uh, and she holds a Master of, Master of Divinity degree from Harvard Divinity School um, and has a doctorate from Virginia Theological Seminary. Um, I met uh, Trisha's wife, Lisa, about six years ago when I spoke at a conference at Virginia Theological Seminary, and it took me a little longer to, to meet Trisha um, because although we both went to Harvard Divinity School, we both had the same preaching professor. We lived these like lives that almost came in contact with one another over like, like 15, 20 years. And we never met until I met Lisa and then through her met Tricia. So um, it's been kind of a wonderful thing to kind of go back and compare notes about that 
time. Um, we're not sure how we never met along the way, but we're so glad that we did. Um, and we had the same preaching professor, Pastor uh, Professor Peter Gomes. Uh, Patricia is like a way better sermon preacher than I am, so I'm not sure how that happened. We'll have to figure that out. But um, really grateful and excited to have you meet Tricia and Lisa today, and really grateful to Tricia for bringing us the word. So without further ado, here is Tricia with our sermon today. Good morning, my friends. I speak to you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank Pastor Keith for inviting me to spend a few minutes with you this morning and talk a little bit about uh, the message that God has for us today in the gospel. I want to begin by telling you a story of when I went shopping as a godparent. Uh, I had a godchild who was about eight years old, uh, and, and the anniversary of her baptism was coming up, and I went to, uh, to buy a present for her. And I'm, I must admit, I was trying to be a kind of cool uh, godmother. I was a high school teacher at the time, so I didn't have a ton of disposable income. Uh, so I went to um, Target um, to try to find a great uh, gift for her. And then my eyes sort of fell on a board game I'd never seen before. It wasn't a board game I grew up uh, playing. And it was this game. The worst case scenario, game of surviving life. I thought this was kind of an odd uh, name for a game. So I, I sat in the aisle and, and Googled a little bit and found out that this board game was actually created after a, a best-selling book by the same title uh, called Worst Case Scenario, um, How to Survive Life. And it was on the bestseller list, New York Times bestseller list, for over 60 weeks. That's over a year of nonfiction. This book, though, is not a, like a story. Uh, it's not about history. Every page of the original book is the same uh, format. It's, it gives you one way that you can die. And then it gives you different ways, uh, two or three different ways to avoid dying in that way. And then when you turn the page, there's just another way you can die. And then there's another way you can die. That's the whole book. Someone got this idea, though, to take this best-selling book and make it into a board game. And what happens in the board game is, um, I brought it out for you here. Here's the board. Um, it's not a very fancy, colorful board, you'll see, um, and, and I'll tell you in a minute, it's because it's a very simple game. Everybody starts down here at the bottom, and then you roll dice, and you kind of, you have to answer questions, and you move up, and there's really only four ways that you end the game. These are the end points. Um, th this here is the graveyard, so if you die at any point during the game, you just go right there. But the only four things left, you want to know what it is? I'll tell you. These are the only four outcomes of this whole board game. You could wind up in a mansion. There's a big mansion up here. Kind of looks like Downton Abbey. Um, I guess that's the winner. Uh, the second one is a condo, the comfy condo. There's the Shady Rest Old Folks Home. And then there's Skid Row. And there's a, like a homeless person. That's it. Those are the only outcomes. This whole game of, of life gives you those outcomes. You can live in a mansion. You could be in a condo. You could be in a, in a, in a lonely um, retirement home. Or you could be on Skid Row because you're homeless. And at any point in the game, if you die, you, of course, wind up in the graveyard. Very depressing board game. My friends, it gets worse. There are 1,000 questions. It's a lot like trivial pursuit. So you pull out these different questions. That's the whole game, by the way. So when it's your turn, somebody reads you a question, and each question asks you how to survive something that might kill you. That's the whole game. So it's things like how to survive being locked in a freezer at work, how to survive uh, an oncoming earthquake, um, how to survive uh, an attack of tigers on your safari. 
how to survive being uh, poisoned. So it's 1,000 ways you can die, and you get asked these questions. Now, how the game begins is there are these little people. This is your game piece, so you pick one of these people. But something very interesting happens. You don't just pick people, put them on the board, start rolling the dice and answer the questions and try not to die and wind up in the mansion and don't wind up in the graveyard. It's more complicated than that. You get a sheet of stickers. And these stickers are their arms, legs, and heads. And what you do is you peel them off and you kind of dress this card. You put a head on and two arms and two legs. That's what you do to start the game. So once you roll the dice and start playing, and you get asked these questions, all these different ways you could die, and there's three choices for each one, and only one of them is correct. If you get it right, here's what's wonderful. If you get it right, you get a gold coin. And if you get a certain number of gold coins, you wind up being able to buy the mansion. Less coins, you can buy the condo. You see how the game works? So you want to find the way to survive each one of these awful questions, because every time you get it right, you get a gold coin. What happens if you get it wrong? Hmm. You know what happens if you get it wrong? Remember those limbs that you stuck on your person? You peel them off. The first wrong answer, you pull off an arm. Boop. Then you have only one arm left, two legs, and a head. So you can only get five things wrong, and when you peel off your last limb because you got injured, you wind up in the graveyard. My friends, can you believe there's a game like this? Do you know how popular this game was? For 10 years, this is one of the best-selling board games. Just like the original book was on the bestseller list for more than a year. Every week on the bestseller list. Why? People realize that there's supposed to be some kind of joke to it. I mean, it's kind of a, a dark humor, you might say. But I think it says something. And this was before COVID that this game was so popular. I think it says something about the way we live in America. That it kind of resonates with people. That, that we're afraid of a lot of different things. No matter who you are, rich or poor, no matter what your race, background, socioeconomic situation, educational level. There's something for all of us to be afraid of all the time. There's something about this game that's almost like a documentary of living in a competitive first world superpower like in America. We're worried about the worst case scenario. I've shown this game to teenagers, and many of them say, yeah, that's what the college process feels like to me. And if you talk to someone who's, who actually has children, they're worried that they don't have enough money ever <laughs> to give the educational experience they want to be able to give to their kids. Maybe you don't have health insurance. All of a sudden, you recognize that all around us, people are struggling to avoid worst-case scenarios. That is such a different world than a world where people are wondering or dreaming about what can happen in a day or a week um, or a season of their life. But COVID has only made this worse, not just for individuals, but for faith communities, for churches like yours, that we've been so needing so to worry about our health and the health of other people for the last year, year and a half, that health is sort of the first thing we think about or worry about. And then the news that we've been watching, the death toll, the toll on hospitalizations. And some of you have people in your own immediate family who have contracted COVID or have passed away because of COVID. There's something about the pandemic that has only made a society like ours, which tends to worry about worst case scenarios, has just made that even worse. So my friends, the gospel enters this morning with a very different message to a world that is worried about the worst case scenarios, that are a world that is losing its imagination, its curia uh, creativity, its wonder, its sense of love and generosity, all the things that get kind of strangled when we have all those um, stress hormones in our, in our minds uh, and when we have that kind of talk on cable news um, or on all the devices we can get information 24 hours a day, news alerts, alerts breaking news alerts, and they're all awful. Very rarely do you get a breaking news alert of anything that is good news. So we're being bombarded now more than ever by bad news and worst case scenarios. 
But Jesus arrives to his followers in the gospel we hear today and brings a different word than worry, than worst case scenario. But I just want to say, before we say something about today's gospel, we really have to connect it in the, in the passage in the Bible to what comes just before today's passage to really understand what Jesus is saying. What happens just before the reading we heard today was the story of the road to Emmaus. Some of you know that story. Some of you have heard that story in church. It's a very common reading to do in the, in the period of Easter. So remember what you had there. You had these two guys who were moving away from Jerusalem, all the events of what we call Holy Week, that Jesus arrives at, at the Palm Sunday celebration. These, these two men say they were witnesses to all of it, and then, then clashing with religious authorities early on the week, and then being arrested, uh, found at night with his followers in the garden, and then being beaten, passed from Herod to Pilate, finally winding up being tortured and then crucified on Friday. And these men have, have fled Jerusalem. Um, the body has been uh, resurrected, so some say, others say it's been stolen. The men are confused, they're frightened. All they know is the Lord that they were following was slaughtered in public. So they're fleeing, really, from Jerusalem, okay? And Jesus comes along the road, right, and meets them on the road to Emmaus. And he asks them how they are, what's going on? And the two men are shocked. They think, how do you not know what's going on? Uh, this whole region is, is, is living out this story, this drama, and you don't know these things? Uh, but we don't understand what, what's going to happen next or why this has happened in the first place. And the story, remember, Jesus says to them, um, he, he starts to tell them the story of the scriptures, really beginning at, 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 at the creation of the world and who God is. And he leads them, the Bible says, through all the prophecies that explain how the Messiah is to come and that the Messiah was going to be turned over and betrayed and was going to be crucified. And so he explains all this to them and basically says, nothing is happening that, that your own faith has not prepared you to witness. And then what happened, remember the men invite Jesus then to come and sit with them because they, they just love hearing all the things that he's saying. Um, and he breaks the bread, remember the story says, and as soon as he breaks the bread, they recognize that he is Jesus and that he is risen from the dead. But then the story says that he vanishes before their eyes. So they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, but he vanishes before their eyes. Keep in mind, though, how odd it is that they didn't recognize him. Because these aren't just two people who were Jesus' followers. The, the Bible says one of them's name was Clopas. And if you go back and read some of the chapters before, Clopas is a very interesting person. Clopas is the brother of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, the mother of God. Okay, so he doesn't just not recognize Jesus. He's so afraid, so upset about the worst case scenario. See how it just begins to take away your imagination, your creativity, even your peripheral vision. The Clopas and the other men with him were, were so um, distracted and so depressed by their confusion and their frustration and their sadness and grief, he didn't even recognize Jesus. Jesus, who was actually his nephew, the son of his brother. Clopas does not recognize Jesus. That's what can happen when a person or a group of people or a family or a congregation becomes so upset, so distracted, so swallowed by worst-case scenarios, you don't recognize even the Lord in your own presence. And again, Clopas not only didn't recognize Jesus, who was someone he decided to follow, he doesn't recognize Jesus, who he'd known since birth, the son of his own brother. He didn't recognize him. But in the breaking of the bread, he did. And then the Bible says... Keep in mind, these stories really go together. Clopas and the man then go to where the disciples are hiding out because they're afraid and confused. And they show up with the story that they just met Jesus on the road to Emmaus and that he just broke bread, but then he vanished, which leaves an open question. Was this some kind of a ghost? 
This was a common superstition at that time um, among people who are Jewish and people of other religions. So th there's a real open debate going on. People are afraid. They're confused. Um, they don't want to be arrested themselves. Jesus has just been um, crucified in public for who, for who he said he is. So the disciples are afraid. And they've got these two guys saying, we just saw him, but he vanished. They're thinking he's a ghost. And then comes the reading from today where Jesus comes into the room and greets them. And not only greets them, he then eats. He says, give me something to eat. And if you wonder why that little detail is in there, Jesus knows that they're having this conversation of whether or not some kind of ghost had appeared to Clopas and the other man. So Jesus says, give me something. I will eat right in front of you. And this was seen as a way to prove I'm not a ghost. And then he does what he did with Thomas. He shows them his wounds. That he is, in fact, the person they saw tortured and crucified a few days before. And that he has, as he promised he would, come back on the third day. So there's a lot in this story that can help us right now as individuals, can help your parish and your, co your congregation right now as you're discerning what does the future look like for you. Remember how the passage ends today that we read. Jesus looked at them and said, you are witnesses. He's reminding them and reminding us that we are witnesses to his resurrection. We are witnesses to the power of God in our lives. And we are to go and share that love with the world. That's why he says to them, you are witnesses. He's told them by going through all the scriptures and showing his wounds, he's told them who he is. And he ends the passage by telling us who we are. We are witnesses to his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's our call in the world. So the question is, how do we be witnesses? Well, I'll just say there's two or three things that we get right out of the passage, both in Emmaus and the passage you heard for, from today. What does Jesus do first and foremost? He shows up. He shows up on the road. He shows up in the room. So that's the first thing we have to do. We have to show up. We have to go to where people are in a way that's safe, um, even under coronavirus. Write your notes. Answer the emails. Attend the Zoom meetings. And when it's safe, go to places and be socially distant. Show up in people's lives. Knock on the door of, of neighbors. Um, and just, again, find some way to put your actual life in the presence of another person. Because that's how Jesus was a witness. Second thing, Jesus talks to people about their own lives. He asks the men on the road, what are the things that you seem upset? What are you upset about? So you show up and then you talk with people. You listen. You demonstrate curiosity for their lives. Think of the people that live around your church. Maybe they don't go to your church. What do they care about? Or do they care about having a dog park? Um, do they care about uh, whether or not there's music being offered in the, in the, pu in the public school in your neighborhood? Um, do they care about the sustainability? Um, do you have recycling at your church in your community? Is that something you want to talk to people about? So those are the kinds of things that when Jesus shows up and asks people what matters to them, how does the church show up to your neighborhood where God has called your church to be built and established? And how do you listen for what matters and what is frightening or jo giving joy to people around you. Because Jesus does that. And that's what allows him then, the credibility with people, to then share the story in both stories. Remember it says he went through all the scriptures with them. So two things. One, we have to first ask people how they are, find out who they are, find out what matters to them, what's going on in their life before we start talking about the history of God that we find in the scriptures. But it also means we have to have formation so that we know what the scriptures say. So that's why we have Bible studies and adult forum and Sunday school and, and, and maybe lectures. We, we are learning the story of God's love for us so that when we show up, when we show curiosity and listen to other people, and then they might 
We might be earning the credibility to then tell them what? The story of our faith. And that's why we need to be forming our faith. But then what else does Jesus do? Two more things that are crucial. In the Emmaus story, he then breaks bread with them. He shares a meal with them. He shares what we now call the sacrament of Eucharist with them. So you, you can't just invite someone to something like that. You first have to show up. You have to get to know who they are. You have to then demonstrate that you understand something about the faith, and you can explain the faith to people. And then we invite them to baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, any of our sacraments. And the last thing we see in the reading from today, Jesus shows them his wounds. He is not afraid to show them the pain, the, the brokenness that his body experienced as a human person. It's not like he's, he was raised from the dead and those, the, those wounds in his hands and his side were erased, deleted, that, that resurrection means that all the pain that we've gone through is somehow, um, it's been disappeared. No, he shows them his experience of human life and is not afraid to show the wounds. So here it is, a clear message from Jesus. How do you be a witness? You show up, you listen and you show curiosity for other people when you do that. You then demonstrate that you have a faith to share, and you've done the formation you need to be able to do that. We invite people into the sacramental life of the church, that they would recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. So it's not just our words or our stories or our stained glass windows or our wonderful music program, that if we invite people into the sacramental life of our church, they will know Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And lastly, we can't be afraid. In fact, Jesus invites us to share our authentic selves with people, wounds and all. The wounds that the world has given us beyond our control, the wounds that we have done in the world. And what that can mean is your church enters into sort of reconciliation research. You understand what role your church has played in structural poverty, intergenerational poverty, structural racism, white supremacy, the slave trade. Do your research. Find out who you are. So when people come into your community, you're able to show them the wounds you've received and the wounds perhaps that you have brought upon the world. That kind of authenticity lets people know that, that the resurrected life that we are living right now with Christ is not some perfect life. The resurrected life is that everything that has been broken, that we have broken, things that we've done, things that we've left undone, that Christ gathers all that up, that in the font and baptism, that all that water floods our life as we enter into the body of Christ, and then we come out of that living off the bread of life that comes to the Eucharist. So it's baptism and the Eucharist that is feeding us. It brings us into the eternal life of the Trinity and it feeds us till the end of time. And we want to invite people into that. That's what we are witnesses of. So I, I encourage you, I'm praying for you. We're going to talk more about this in Adult Forum, that this is an opportunity for your church, not just because it's the Easter season where we're, we're meditating on what it means that we have the risen life, that Jesus didn't just come out of the tomb, that we went into the font with him, so we come out of the tomb with him. By entering his life, we enter his resurrection. So the question is, will we be witnesses? Jesus hasn't just called us to be witnesses. He showed us, and they're reading today in the story of Emmaus, he showed us how to be witnesses. Jesus doesn't just tell us to love. He shows us how to love. He doesn't just tell us to lead. He washes feet, and he shows us how to lead. So today is no different. And the question sits with you as a congregation. It sits with me as someone who's preaching. How will I be a witness?